As a church, we have been reacquainting ourselves with what the scriptures teach regarding the church. Uh, firstly, that the church is not a building, but rather a people, God's people. And the word for church, we know, means called out. And so we are those who have been called out by God. What does that mean? Very important to define these things. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul describes the church when he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son in whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the verse before that, in verse 12, he calls the ones who are in the church holy people in the kingdom of light. The way that a person is brought into God's kingdom, which is manifested on earth as the church, the way a person is called out to God is by being born again by faith in Jesus Christ, faith in His death and in His resurrection, and that we would also share in His eternal life. And so we are described as a people who have been born again, regenerated, transformed, conveyed from the kingdom of sin and death, uh, sin leading to death, to the kingdom of the Spirit, of life. That's who we are, and light, which is manifested in the church on earth. Just as you were born into a physical family, you have been reborn into a spiritual family by the grace of God. This is your new family. Those who believe in Christ Jesus are your spiritual family, your eternal, eternal family. And as we have been born again, secondly, we identified ourselves, we find ourselves identified as the true church by seeing all that God has done on our behalf. In other words, there are marks and characteristics that identify the, the true church of God. Now, just we already said, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a part of the true church. You must be born into it by faith in Christ. But once you're born in, like you're actually born into a real family, you find out all the benefits that are yours that you did nothing except for exist to experience. God has done so much on our behalf as the church. It is absolutely amazing what He has done on our behalf. And I think it is important that we know our identity in Christ Jesus as Christians. And so Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, we went over it last week, um, tells us who we are now as sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords by God's grace. And so we find that we are blessed. We are a blessed people by God in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing there is. And Paul just names a few. He says, we're blessed, we're chosen, we have been predestined to adoption, we've been redeemed, we are forgiven, we have been given the plan, and we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. All these things are past tense, done on our behalf by God. Amen. They're yours. That's what, it's like, whoa, thanks, Lord, I didn't even know that happened to me. And that's what it is to become a Christian. You wake up to realize we put our faith, we believed in Jesus Christ, and through Him we have access to all these things that are ours in Christ, as now we become sons and daughters of the King of the universe, these blessings are now ours. Amen. Who can separate us from the love of God? I don't know anybody. So I just want to relish in those things. So you and I have been called out by God and have been called into His church that has been blessed with those spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And by the way, Paul goes on for three chapters to explain that. He does the same thing in Colossians. He does the same thing in Romans. He does it over and over and over. Peter does it in First and Second Peter. So this is not just a one-time thing, and these, are not, um, these blessings are not confined to seven things. They're exhaustive, and they're immeasurable, the things that we have in Christ Jesus as His children. So we are the sons and daughters of God. Our new life is now wrapped up in Christ and in His family called the church the people of God, who are from every trunk, uh, tongue, tribe, and nation. Praise God. Amen? But how does this new family we have been brought into work? What are our roles, like our earthly families within 
the church, God has given us roles. There are relationships that we have with one another. God-given, God-prescribed um, positions of authority and responsibility within the church. How does that all work? It's important to know because God makes it important to know. He, he spends time in the New Testament, in First and Second Timothy and Titus and, and Corinthians, uh, going over these things, who we are in Christ, Romans, Ephesians, all these types of things, how we relate to one another, what are our positions, how does this work? How does this new family we've been brought into function and the scriptures teach us about these various roles, and I think it's important now to begin to describe these various roles and relationships within the church so that we might understand how God has designed us to live in relationship with one another and the mission He's called us to, amen, for His glory. And today I want to focus on the most important role within the church, and without this understanding, everything we do as a church cannot function as born-again individuals, let alone as the body of Christ, if we do not have a proper understanding of this supreme role within the church, we are sunk. And so the main role within the church that is so crucial to understand is about who's in charge. It's about who's in charge. Now, in the first week, I use the analogy of a baseball team to help us identify the sense of unity and purpose that we have as a church. A baseball team has a head coach, does it not? It has assistant coaches and all the various players playing all their various positions, but the role of the head coach is absolutely crucial to the team. The head coach is the one who chooses the players, you know, professionally, and assigns them to their roles based upon their skills and their abilities so that a person would play their best individually and together as a team, and they would go out and play baseball and win. That's the analogy I've been using, right? So without a head coach, a team, and a team that's submitted to that head coach, the leadership of that team is gone, and the team becomes a mess, Amen? Everybody might think they know how to play baseball, but there has to be someone who leads the church. We know that a baseball team exists to play baseball, and here's where the analogy breaks down. A church does not exist to play church. It is not a game. The church exists to glorify God. We exist, you exist to bring glory to God who made you and who remade you in His image. We're not some people picked on a team to go win a trophy that's going to fade. Jesus bought us with His own blood out of the slave market of sin leading to death that we would live and breathe together to glorify God. Amen. We are his church. And if you remember Jesus speaking in Peter, uh, to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it, will not prevail. The church is Jesus' church. He claims ownership of the church, amen? And that means that he is in charge, all glory and honor and praise to Jesus. This is His church. We are His church. Amen? He is the head of the church. And I'm going to keep hitting that over and over and over for the next 30 minutes until you're sick of it. Because it's important. If we don't know who the head coach is and who's calling the shots, it's going to be a mess. And let me tell you how many of you have been a part of a mess. Because when Matt's in charge, oh my goodness. And all the elders said, amen. And my wife's like, yeah. But the scriptures make it clear that Jesus is head of the church, specifically in two separate places. The first is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. 
Turn there with me. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Colossians chapter 1 powerfully explains Jesus' position, not only to God the Father, not only to, in relationship to all of creation, but, but more specifically to His church. It's a real precious passage. It's pretty awesome. Jesus here is described as the Son in verse 15. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over what? All creation. Jesus is God who is spirit manifested in the flesh. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, and he is firstborn over all creation. Now, what in the world does that mean? It is not saying that Jesus was created. That is not what it's saying. The Jehovah's Witnesses and others will use this verse to say, see, Jesus was created because he was called firstborn. He was born first. He was the first of creation. No, that is not what it's talking about. It is not talking about time. It is talking about position. It is talking about position. That is not Paul's point. Paul isn't saying, talking about when Christ was. He is talking of who Christ is, his position. Paul is saying that like a firstborn son in a Middle Eastern culture of the day, he has rule over his father's house. Amen. Jesus is preeminent in his position over everything and everybody in the family. The firstborn had authority of the father. That is the point. He's firstborn, position, not time. Why? Verse 16, for in him all things were what? Created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and what? Invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities. And so he's talking about things we can see, forces and, 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 and uh, both spiritual and natural and all these types of things, all these things. We're what? We're created by Him. Whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him or by Him, because the words are in the Greek are the same. Jesus created everything, and everything is created for Him and by Him. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, created all things. That is why He's in charge of the universe. Pretty good explanation there, but verse 17, he is before all things, just in case you were wondering. Here's the time. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Are you getting the picture of Paul describing Jesus Christ, Jesus' power and authority and position over everything that exists? He created it all. It exists for him, and he holds everything together. Wow. That's your Jesus. And this is why John in chapter 1 of John, verses 9 through 10, says the, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, referring to Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The Creator was clothed in flesh and, and He walked among us and because of our sin and because of our darkness, we were blinded to His glory and who He was and still are. But it goes on to say that He revealed Himself unto those who, who did believe, basically they were illuminated, their eyes were opened and that's, that's the church, Amen by His grace. And Paul, back here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 again, he says, He's before all things, and in Him all things to go hold together. And here's what we're driving at, verse 18, and He is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. Jesus is it. He created it. It's all for Him. Seen, unseen, everything you see going on is subject to his authority and, by the way, will be subject to his 
authority when he comes in and straightens out the rebellion. But we are now in a time of grace, believe it or not. When the gospel is preached and that he is gathering rebels from all around the world that would bow their knee to Jesus Christ and would confess their sins to him and their need for a savior and he grabs them out and he calls them out and brings them to a family and says, forgiven, you are now my son and my daughter. You were once a rebel, you were once an enemy, but now I call you a son. Now I call you a daughter by grace. Wow. And that's what the church consists of. Jesus is head of the body, the church. The reason is because he was first born among the dead. Now, again, that does not mean he was raised first. We know that people rose from the dead before Christ. Jesus rose people from the dead himself. Amen? So what is this speaking of? He's firstborn. It means that, again, this is not about when Jesus was raised, but about his position. Philippians 2.5 speaks of Christ's position. In relationship, I'm just going to read it for you, 2, 5 through 11. In, relation, in your relationships with one another, Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, that's Jesus coming down, becoming one of us, humbling himself. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. Therefore, God the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father." Of all those who have been or ever will be raised from the dead, Jesus is chief. He is the Son of God, the creator of the universe who surrendered his life to redeem ours. And God the Father has given Jesus as the head of the church, his body, who has been raised from the dead spiritually. The church has been raised from the dead spiritually, and we will be physically at the resurrection. Now, if you picked up on it, the church is called the body there in Colossians. I kind of went over it fast, but it's called the body. The church is called the body. And that's important for us to know. There's several metaphors in the scripture uh, that, you, that are used to describe the church, us. It's described as a temple, as a vineyard, as a flock of sheep, a family, a kingdom, and a bride, and, and here a body. And each of these metaphors are helpful in describing the relationship we have to Jesus and his church, the one, one another's, right? But in each of these, the, it is emphatic that the Lord Jesus is in control and is pivotal in each of these situations he uses to describe. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and we're the building. He's the foundation, he's the thing that holds everything together. He's the one that sets the plumb line for all everything else to be put together. Jesus is it. So that's used in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Jesus is the vine and we are the what? Seen any branches hanging out by themselves lately? What do they look like? Dead, right? Branches or little vinelets, whatever you want to call them, attached to the vine, they produce what? Fruit. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do Nothing. <laughs> but in me, you can do everything, right? That's, you got it backwards there. But Jesus is also what? The chief what? Chief shepherd. Another one. And we are what? Sheep. Bad sheep. No, I'm just kidding. We are stubborn sheep. That's John 10, 11 and 1 Peter 5, 4. He talks about those things. Jesus is the master of the house and we are the servants. Jesus is the king and we are the subjects. Do you see over and over and over, Jesus uses the analogies about the kingdom of God as like and this is how we relate. Jesus is the head and we are his body. Everybody take your hand and reach up and go like this. See that? That's your head. This is kind of what makes it so you can do stuff. I'm just, someone else probably has a degree in something like this. This is my understanding of it. But this leads us around places. 
It makes it to where things we don't even know are happening are happening within us, involuntary actions, right? Things behind the scenes that we can't even fathom are going on. The head is directing these things, even though you might not even get it. But the head is also saying, go get a hamburger or, you know, or don't have that hamburger or whatever the head is telling you, right? So you're going out and you're doing stuff because you've got a brain on you. And that's the picture that, that, that quite often comes back and back again. We are not the head. Jesus is the head. Imagine if your arm decides to do whatever it wants. What happens on that day? Or your leg. Many of you experience it. It's called disease. It's not doing what it should do. And so when we experience that within our own bodies or we see someone who's overcome with those things, we we realize something's not happening correctly, correct? There's, There's miscommunication. There's a breakdown in what's going on. That's not glorifying. Amen? How much more so when the church pays no attention to the head? What does the church look like to God sometimes? Now, I know he sees the big, big picture, but I'm just thinking about me. Uh, come back here, you wild toe. You know, it's like, what's going on? So, there are many pictures. Jesus is the head, and we are the body. And we're going to get more into that when we, when we talk about our relationship to one another. Today, I want to talk about Jesus and our relationship to him, because that's the most important one, and everything else flows from that. But lastly, Jesus is the groom and we're his bride. That's that's another picture where where it talks about us being a body, is that Jesus is the groom and we're his bride. And that's Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 24 and and the following verses. So flip over there. Ephesians 5, 21 through 24. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So go back from Colossians left. And really, that's the second place where Jesus is identified as the head of church. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21, basically through 27. Paul is teaching the church, listen, about how to live out their new life. In other words, you've been born again, you begin in this new identity, you're, you're born again, but now how do you live in relationship with one another? Because the proof that you've been changed with God is how you live with one another. Amen. If it doesn't translate this way, it didn't happen this way. That's just, that's just God's math. That's the way he works it out. If you love me, it's going to be shown in that change over time. Amen? And so Paul is teaching about how to live their new life as born-again believers of Jesus. And so he speaks to them in their various relationships that they have with one another in the culture at that time. The main relationships were slaves and masters or employees and, and employers, Right? Um, those relationships, how, how, do you, how do you live in those circumstances? You're not running out of them. How do you live in them? Well, what about children and parents? Those relationships are explained. And then he gets into husbands and wives and wives and husbands, and these are the ones that I'm focusing on here. And so uh, here he begins in verse 21. He says, here's the principle. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of respect for Christ. That's the principle. In verse 22, he begins with the wives. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do what? To the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives submit to their husbands in everything, Okay? And my point isn't to hunker down here and talk to you wives right now. My point is, the point that Paul is making is the analogy between Christ and the church and the submission of a wife to Christ is the submission of the church to Christ. That's the, that's the analogy he's making. He'll go on to talk about that. So Paul's speaking about submission to authority. And we struggle deeply and profoundly as a society with any authority whatsoever. We do. How many of you like being told what to do? I don't. How many of us pray for our presidents? 
past, present, and future. And resist slandering. You know? How many of us submit to the authorities even though they're unjust and, and they lay burdens on us that we shouldn't have? How many of us kick back all the time and just, well, it's my right and my freedom and all this type of stuff? Paul's talking to slaves submitting to their masters. Why on earth would he do that? Because they're submitted to Christ. Christ subjected himself to hostility that the world would see Christ the gospel. And as we subject ourselves even to unjust authority, things in your workplace that are not right, that are going on that you have to do, not to say that you go and you do illegal things. That's not what I'm saying. But so your boss is mean. Get over it. Be a Christian. Bear up under evil things and begin to Love that person. Do double what they ask. Come in early. Work harder. Instead of grumbling, bless that person. Only say the things that are good. You know what I'm saying? That's the church. It's totally different. How many of you like to do that? No, you don't. It's called the cross, right? But that's Christ in you. So Jesus is speaking here about submission to authority. This is why children obey your parents, for this is good in the Lord. If you, if you obey your parents, the Old Testament in the, in, in, in the law, it says you probably have a long life. You're going to have a long life. Because if you resist your parents, if you don't obey the simple authority of your parents, when you go out and a police officer tells you to put your hands up and you don't, guess what's going to happen to you? Nothing good. Submit to authority. These are hard teachings, but as Christians, we are different. Expect things to be hardcore. And so, what does it say here? It says, submit to one another to reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own earthly husbands as you do the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And I'm not advocating being under physical abuse, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so wives also submit to their husbands. So Paul is speaking about submission to authority in various relationships, and he clearly says that just as wives submit to Christ as head of the church, so, so she is also to submit to her husband of the house. That's the model. And so the imagery of the church being the bride and, and Christ being the groom or the husband is, speaks to Christ's authority of the church. Just as the husband rules the house, so Christ rules the church. I don't know how that floats with you today, but that's Bible. That's God's design from Adam until now. And sin enters the picture. And as I was talking to, to men on Thursday night, the history of mankind is either our abuse of authority or our ne neglect of it. That's just the history of mankind. Is our abuse of authority or our neglect of it? And God is calling men to stand up and be men. But what does that mean? If you keep reading, we see why the wives submit to their husbands and why the church submits to Christ this is important. The why is important. Verse 25 through 33 of Ephesians 5 says, husbands what? Love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. How did he do that? He said, I love you. What did he do? And gave himself up for her. Christ gave himself up for you. He gave himself up for you, for you, for you. He laid down his life for you and for y'all. <laughs> you know? But he says there, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Why? To make her holy, 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Do you see that he, is, he died to bring her, to call her out, to make her holy, to set apart for his purposes? And, and he has this continual process of preparing her for that day that they will be together by cleansing her with the water of the word. And the picture and the imagery there is, is a bride not putting on her work clothes to go get married. It's that she is preparing herself in, in every spot and wrinkle and all these types of things are all worked out. And Jesus is saying, he's cleansing us right now as we are saved. Now he is saving us, so to speak. We're saved, we're saved, and then we're saved. It's, a, it's all together. We have been justified before God. We're now being sanctified. We will be glorified is, is the theology, but we're being cleansed. How is the church cleansed? How are we prepared as a bride? How are we changed from who we used to be? Yes, we're born again. We understand our identity, but now we need to be changed into the image of Christ Jesus. That's what he's doing. How does it happen? The washing of the water of what? The word. His word, His authority in our life changes us. That is the authority in the church. You come to me, you ask me a question about what you should do and how you do it. I've got a lot of opinions, and if you start hearing Matt's opinions, well, you might not know they're my opinions. But it's my job as a pastor not to give you my opinion. It's my job as a pastor, as an elder in a church, to give you his opinion. What does he say about marriage? What does he say about money? What does he say about the word? What does he say about all these things going on? Because I have no authority apart from his authority. He is the authority. This is why James says, let not many of you be teachers, because you run your mouths, and you'll be judged more harshly. And I will. I hope I'm rewarded more than y'all too. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> That's my secret little thing. No, you know, I mean, that's partly in there, but I mean, I'm scared about the stick, but I like the carrot. But in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. How many of you love your own body? Of course you do. Look at y'all. You brush your teeth and stuff, you comb your hair, you fed yourself, you love you. That's not a problem. It's the other person. It's the same way we're to love one another, and we'll get into that more. But after all, no one ever hated his own body, verse 29. And he's speaking in generalities here, of course. But they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does the church. Christ loves you. He feeds you. He takes care of you. He provides for you. Jesus was said, don't worry about the, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Look, look how your heavenly Father takes care of the birds in the field. Are you not more precious than a sparrow? I spilt my blood for you. I love you. I'll take care of you. I've got you. You just need to do what I say. Listen to me. Don't go outside my gates. Stay in my pasture. It's green. I'll restore your soul. And we run ourselves through when we run apart from the head. But he goes on and says, for this man, well, he says, uh, he says just as Christ is the church, he, he feeds and cares for it, for we are members of his body. He loves his own body. That's you. We're connected to him. He's our head. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, Paul says, but I am talking about Christ in the church. Like, the picture of marriage is Christ in the church. That's the idea of marriage. 
So Christ loved the church. He gave himself up to the church to make her holy, set apart to himself. How does he make her holy? Through the washing of the word, the water through the word. In other words, Jesus loved us and he died for us. And now through his word, we are being cleansed, made without stain or wrinkle, radiant bride to be presented to him on the day that he comes to get us. Amen. So Jesus is the head of the church and we have been bought And now we're being sanctified, that is being prepared, being cleansed from our old lives. Not that we need to be born again. That's not what he's saying. You're born again. You don't need to be born again again. Born again once. But then there's the continual cleansing of the Word of God in our lives. Day by day, being made more into the image of Christ Jesus as we just trust and obey Jesus. Being prepared for our wedding day. And Jesus prepares us through his word, and this is where we want and so where we want to end up. And so Jesus has all authority over the church. And submission to his lordship is not optional. It's not optional. And I hope you know that his lordship is a loving lordship. But his loving lordship is not a ticket for you to do whatever you want. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so Remember all those spiritual blessings that the Lord in His grace has done on our behalf. Our role in all of it, all that God has done for us is amazing, but our role, what do we do? What's our response? Our response, our good work is to believe in the one whom God sent, is to believe in Jesus Christ. What does faith look like? It looks like a person who, whose actions follow their belief. And that's what James gets into. You say that you believe in God, but you better show it by your works. Show it by how you live and what you do. That's the proof that we're saved. Not that we get saved by doing that, but that's the evidence. And so our role is to believe upon Jesus and Our faith is demonstrated by our submission to Jesus, and that is our act of love towards God, loving obedience to Jesus. If you remember back in Luke 6, 46 through 49, way back when, Jesus said some stunning words. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? These words haunt me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on a rock. And when the flood came, the torrent struck in the house, uh, that house, but it could not shake it because it was built well, it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And I believe Christ is describing two different people, the believer and the non-believer. I think, he's, 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 I think believers are those who build their lives on Jesus, Jesus Christ. In his words, the church is to be marked by our joyful and loving obedience to Jesus Christ, putting his words into, his, into practice. His words are our life, right? Verses support all that Matt just said. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commands. In John 14, 21, a few verses later, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show them to myself. Who does Jesus love? Those who what? Keep his commands. Isn't that weird? But I thought you just loved, loved me, God. I don't know. This kind of teaches both. <laughs> better, uh, better dig in there. John 14, 23 through 24, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will what? Obey my teaching. My Father will love him and will come to him and we'll make our home with him. And then it goes on. I want to read the next verses. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. 
these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So those who don't love Jesus, they don't obey him. John 15.10 again says, Jesus, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So the model is Jesus' obedience to the Father. Our job is, our, our role is to obey Jesus just as he obeyed his Father. It's as simple as that. Do what he says. That's how we show God we love Him. And we know that because 1 John 5, 3, in fact, this is love for God. If I were to ask you real quickly, what is love for God? You go, it's just me loving Him. It's just the feeling I have in my heart. That's not how God sees it. It's important to know that. Everybody read that book like women are from the third universe far away and men are from earth? What's, I don't know what it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, all the women know that. For Guys are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. But we say we love you, and that is not translating whatsoever by whatever we do. We need to find out what is love to them. What, how do they experience love, right? And that's the point behind that. But God's love is not what we think. First John 5, 3 says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep His commandments, Wow. And his commandments, by the way, I love this, are not what? Burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. It's proof you're in his kingdom. You love to do what he says. And they're not burdensome. And we find out that his, this is his command, that you love one another as I have loved you, which we're going to spend time on. And so John, last one, 2 John 6. This is love. That we walk, there's only one chapter, so 2 John verse 6. This is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. And you've heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. And so over and over we read that we are to obey Jesus as the head of the church by obeying His commands. Our church's big mission is we exist to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. That's it. We exist to glorify God by just doing what Jesus says. That's our love language. Loving and obeying is the same thing. That's, how, that's why we're here. And I love that verse we just read. The commands of God are not burdensome. Come to me, all you who are weary. What's he going to do? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's not burdensome to love. It frees you. Not as the world loves, but as he loves. We've got to redefine that church, not the world's definition, not Hollywood's definition, not the books you've been reading or media or the stories or whatever it might be, not those definitions of love, not what your parents told you love was, not all these other things. What Jesus says love is, what the Father says love is, that is love. That is our new love. That's our new family identity, how we love, and we're going to learn about that. And that's how we submit to the Lord, by hearing His Word and obeying it. And that is why we spend so much time every week with this thing cracked open as a body so that you will be instructed in the things of the Lord and that you will respond as the Holy Spirit teaches the church, it teaches me at the same time, right? We're all in the church, we're all submitted to His Word. And, at, and in the middle of the week, you're getting together and you're praying and you're, and, you're, and you're, you know, reading your Bibles and all that stuff. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you out of His Word and He's speaking to you about how you're living and what's going on and how to change things and how to move things so that you conformed no longer to the world. You're conformed to the image of Christ. Your thinking gets changed. The way you view stuff starts to look more and more like God and His kingdom and His values and all these types of things. And, and you become more and more in line with his son, with who you are, your true identity as a son or daughter in Christ, and you begin to glow, and you're different from the world. The world begins to hate you because you, Christ is in you. Amen. But out of that world, people are going to see, and they're going to want the gospel because God's calling them. They're going to use you to do it. All that we have and are is to be submitted to His will. 
verses like 25, Matthew 25, 14 through 30 speak to us about the Lord entrusting us with his treasure. In closing, the Lord has entrusted us with treasure. It might be your time, it might be your, your talent, it might be your physical treasure that God has, in, in, has given you life, breath, time, resources, energy, and all that type of stuff. And as his church, we are to take those treasures that he has entrusted with us and invest them according to his will. And this is where a health wealth person would start to give an offering. And I'm telling you, you are the offering. You are the offering. Put yourself in the plate before God. Say, I want to be a living sacrifice, God, wherever, wherever, however. You've bought me. Now, command. I don't even know how to listen. God, teach me to hear your voice. Show me. Open your word to me. Remember on the road to Emmaus, what did Jesus do with those disciples? He opened their minds so they could hear him. They could understand the scriptures. The Lord will do that for you. He'll open your mind. People go, well, how do you know all this stuff? Just hanging out with Jesus. Getting it right. And he teaches me as we go. Amen. Hanging out with other brothers and sisters and being encouraged and being directed. The parable of Matthew 25, 14, 30 is about a master who had three servants. And he gave each different amounts of, of gold to invest while he was away on a journey and when he came back, he settled the accounts. The first person he gave five bags to, and that person made five more, so he had ten. Had ten. And this is how the master responds to that servant. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Enter into your master's joy. Jesus is teaching about a kingdom principle here. Someone was given something by God, and they will hold, be held to account of what happens with that. Second person who had two bags did the same thing. They made more. And he says, well done. Enter in the joy of rest. Good job. You've been faithful with few. I'm giving you in charge of many. The third one we know, he had one, and he buried it. And Jesus responds to him in verse 26 in Matthew 25. This guy had all kinds of excuses. Jesus says to him, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I, was har I, that I harvested where I have not sown and gather where I do not scatter seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest, even if it's .000, whatever it is today, interest. And so take this bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe that last guy is not a believer. Because I believe that believers, we take what God has given us and we obey him, and we invest it. But there's always that tension, isn't there, in Scripture? To please our Lord Jesus. The church is not that third guy. You are not that third guy. Don't be that third guy. Amen? Amen. We are the ones who trust and obey. We build our lives upon the rock, and the storms come to everybody. But Jesus, and what he says, is our foundation. It is our life. And so I want all of us to know that the church exists to glorify God and to the degree that you and I, what we do with our time and our talent and our treasure, not just by yourself, but with your brothers and sisters as well, the degree that we love and obey Jesus is the degree that we will be rewarded and given responsibility in the age to come. That's what that teaches. And you have a tremendous window from this point forward. You can't change behind you. Amen? Let it go. Take it to the cross and say, God, I'm sorry. But today, time, talent, treasure is yours. Let's go. What do you want to do? And today forward, you are going to invest in 
rewards that you cannot imagine. You've been faithful with little. It seems like little, but I only have a little. Take the little, and he will give you much in the age to come. Amen. Amen. It's not about now. It's not about you building your kingdom now. That's an earthly concept. This is about his kingdom, the eternal kingdom. And what you do now will depend then. But that all hinges upon your obedience to the head, the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Amen? So this is not a game. This is about God's glory and our response to his grace. And the church exists to glorify God. We don't exist to play church. We say it with me. The church exists to glorify God. The church exists to glorify God. And I want you to make it personal. I exist to glorify God. I exist to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus. Amen? In the coming weeks, I'm going to explain what that means practically in that the church exists to glorify God upwardly, inwardly, and outwardly. And we're going to talk a little bit about those things, how those things work out in our relationships to one another talk about roles within the church, talk about the gifts of the Spirit, talk about the fruit of the Spirit, talk about the inward mission, the outward mission, the outward mission. So a lot of things, and I'm hoping this time will be a real edifying time for us as a church, that we would recalibrate and go, oh, yeah, you're in charge. What do you want? Has anybody asked that lately (laughs) of the Lord? Or we just assume autopilot? What do you want to do about this circumstance that I find myself in that I messed up or whatever it is? Lord, take care of me. You're the head. Help. Help. You know? Lord, what do I do about this situation? I'm finding myself later in years, and I don't have as much energy and all this type of stuff, yet what do I do? I've got things for you. Hunker down on my word. Listen to what I've said. Rededicate yourself to the Lord. Amen? May the Lord bless you this week. He loves you. He's got you. Do you have him? (laughs) Abide. Amen? Lord God, we thank you so much that you are our head, Lord Jesus. And so we ask, Lord, that you would receive the honor and the glory and the praise, Lord, from our lips and from our lives. God, will you open our minds to your word? Would you teach us in the multitude of needs within this room, God. We need your wisdom from on high, and the world just does not have what the kingdom has. And so, Lord, be gracious to us. Wash us, cleanse us, speak to us, Lord. Illuminate us, God. And may on that day you receive all the praise and glory and honor as your bride is presented to you. And we stand in eternity and begin to function in that new role. But until that day, be alive in us. Let us be your hands and your feet and your arms and your legs and your heart beating, Lord, in this world. Let us love one another and go share the gospel. In the name of Jesus, amen.